0: Hi, this is beige with public this was a busy week in the house oversight committee's ongoing investigation into biden family influence peddling while corporate media either hid from the headlines or ran interference for the biden administration it just kept coming senator chuck grassley released the infamous 1023 form an fbi confidential human source document allegedly implicating president joe biden and sun hunter In a $10 million bribery scheme related to Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Meanwhile, new testimony revealed FBI agents warning of a coming Russian disinformation campaign back in 2020, which triggered a wave of social media censorship, already knew the Hunter Biden laptop was verified. And two IRS whistleblowers, one recently unmasked, delivered more testimony detailing how the government slow walked its Hunter Biden investigation. In light of all that, we have a treat for you today, a podcast in two parts. We start with Michael's interview with Peter Schweitzer, who is perhaps the world's leading expert on Hunter Biden's influence peddling. Schweitzer is the author of Clinton Cash, Profiles in Corruption, and Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich, Helping China Win. Michael interviewed Peter last December and used a brief clip for his Twitter files thread on Hunter Biden but Public has not yet published the full interview until now. Then I interview Tristan Levitt, attorney for IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley, whose disclosure shed light on how the government bungled a quote, slam dunk felony case against Hunter Biden. Between the two, you'll get a great primer on Biden family influence peddling and a deeper dive into the IRS whistleblower saga.
1: What do we know and why does it matter? Well, what we know is that
2: the Biden family uh, has benefited from commercial deals overseas uh, to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. Uh, That's not in dispute. That's based on um, the so-called suspicious activity reports that the Treasury Department has released because a US uh, Senate committee asked for it. These documents show the flow of funds um, from Russian, Ukrainian, and Chinese sources among others. So we know there's been a flow of funds. We also know that the people sending that money uh, have very close relationships with the government. So in the case of China, for example, which I believe is the most troubling of the, of the group of foreign donors, um, you can actually look on the Hunter Biden laptop and find the businessmen who secured these deals uh, for Hunter Biden. Uh, There are four gentlemen that are named. um, If you look at those four gentlemen, each and every one of them has close ties to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. So for example, one gentleman who he calls the super chairman, uh, at the same time that Hunter Biden secures a deal with him, that translates into about $20 million, that same Chinese businessman is business partners with the vice minister of state security in China, who is responsible for foreign recruitment. Uh, This has been reported in, in Hong Kong. This is not just Peter Schweitzer saying it. So you have the flow of funds. You have the flow of funds from foreign parties that are linked to the government and intelligence services. And then you have the third component of this, which is there's no discernible service or product or anything that Hunter Biden has brought to the table. So the question has to be asked, why are foreign actors like these four businessmen in China arranging deals worth tens of millions of dollars to the Bidens uh, and not getting anything in return? And what's important to point out here is that Hunter Biden uh, is the one who's the signatory on these deals, but The laptop also shows that money is fungible within the Biden family. We know that $2 million that arrived from China ended up with his uncle, James Biden. And we also know that Hunter Biden paid some of his father's bills while he was vice president of the United States. So this is not a Hunter Biden question. This is a larger Biden family question.
1: And and what can you describe so I see CBS News has now I think I think everybody like all, most of the mainstream media CBS News New York Times Washington Post they accept that the laptop belonged to Hunter Biden. Yeah. They accept that Hunter Biden took money from foreign governments and foreign entities that had an interest in policies that Joe Biden might have influence over. Right. Um If I'm not mistaken though, they kind of say, well, there's nothing that really links it to Joe Biden. Is that kind of, how would you describe, I I don't wanna get, well, that may be part of it, but how would you describe how the mainstream media is treating this issue right now?
2: Well, I think uh, for the last several years, uh, they've been woefully negligent. Um, My view is it doesn't matter if it's Donald Trump, George W. Bush, or Joe Biden. If you have a member of the immediate family that is receiving large sums of money from a foreign source, they don't really have a legitimate business. Uh, Hunter Biden created this business, this foreign consultancy, while when his father became vice president of the United States, and he focused his deals in the very areas where his father was the quote unquote point person on US policy, according to Barack Obama, that would be China and Ukraine. So that raises all kinds of questions. The mainstream media has had a lack of curiosity about this. So for example, when the laptop dropped in uh, 2020, I had no idea where it came from. I didn't know if it was real, but what I did was I took the files on the Hunter Biden laptop and I compared it to bodies of information that we knew were absolutely true. So for example, the secret service, again at the request of a US Senate committee had released Hunter Biden's travel records. So we were able to take the laptop and say, when he says he's in Dubai, does that correspond with the Secret Service travel records? If he's emailing somebody and saying, I'm in Hong Kong, does that line up? In each and every case, it lined up. Then we compared the laptop to the suspicious activity reports, the SARS reports. Uh, When the emails referenced $5 million being wired uh, to Hunter Biden's business, does that correspond with the SARS? And again, it lined up completely. And the laptop really came out at about the same time as the Secret Service travel logs and the wire transfers. So it really would not have been possible for somebody to create thousands of emails simultaneously to demonstrate it. Then the final thing we did, Michael, is we looked at Hunter Biden's laptop emails and we compared them with a collection that we'd received from Hunter Biden's business partners, a guy named Bevan Cooney, who's in jail. He shared his Gmail account with us. And we, we looked at it. The Hunter Biden laptops that have Bevan Cooney correspondence on them, do they actually line up with Bevan Cooney's Gmail account? And again, they did 100%. Now, I was able to do this in Florida with my researchers. The New York Times, the Washington Post, CBS News, ABC News could have done the same thing but they were not interested in this story. They did not pursue this story. And as I always Mm -hmm. say, uh, you know, I'm 58 years old. Go back to the Cold War. If you had told me that, that information would come forward that Jimmy Carter's family or Ronald Reagan's family was receiving tens of millions of dollars from Russian businesses that were linked to the KGB, it would have set off alarm bells, rightfully so, to all kinds of news outlets. That's really the equivalent of what we're talking about here, and yet the media somehow convinced themselves that this was not an important or an interesting story.
1: Now, one of the things that I hear from Democrats is that they say, well, you know, this is kind of common, and look, the Trump family had all sorts of business dealings with Russia. Is that true?
2: Uh, so the by the sorry the Trump family does actually have some deals in China, although they kind of were unwinding. Um, and I raised questions about that and some of the finance deals that Jared Kushner uh, was involved in in the Middle East. Um, and those need scrutiny; they need analysis. And by the way, they were scrutinized by the mainstream media, so that's a good thing. The Biden deals weren't, but there, there's also a critical, crucial difference here in my mind. And that is the deals that the Trumps had with China, the, the, the one that really translated into money was a deal that Ivanka Trump had for the manufacturing of shoes and other things in, in her apparel line. That was a line started, you know, 10, 15 years ago. My point being, those were actual legitimate businesses that predate any involvement in You certainly watch them and be aware of them and, and, and take them into account. With the Bidens, we're not talking about that. Hunter Biden, after his father becomes vice president of the United States, suddenly decides he's gonna go into international finance, ill-defined. He has no background, he has no experience. Uh, and he's not doing deals in London or Tokyo. He immediately goes to Russia, China, and Ukraine for those deals. So I, I believe all foreign uh, deals should uh, should be scrutinized. But you have to differentiate. My in my mind, the difference between say Michael Bloomberg, who his company Bloomberg has major business deals and dealings in China, uh, which need to be watched. But that's a legitimate business. You cannot compare that to Rosemont mm-hmm. Seneca Partners, uh, which is frankly, in a large extent, a fictitious business entity that was funneling money to Hunter Biden and his family
1: now what about what about Trump's relationship with russia with Russia?
2: Well, there there was no question. There there were discussions and there was a uh, sort of verbal agreement uh, to build a Trump Tower uh, in Moscow. But there was no real exchange of money uh, in that case. And again, I would say, look, that deserves scrutiny. But Donald Trump actually has built hotels and condos around the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. Certainly, it's not appropriate to be doing that while you're a candidate or president of the United States. Uh, But to somehow put that in a nefarious light when you're ignoring a business that has no history that predates your father being vice president of the United States and you have zero track record in it, I don't think you can compare those two very effectively.
1: Yeah. And what about this? um, um, I can't remember if it was in your book or if it's just been I've seen it more, but there's a character named Tony Bobolinski. Yeah. And, he, and then there's also some written documents where there's some suggestion that there was some agreement that 10% would go to the big guy and that the big guy was Joe Biden. I believe that Tony Bobolinsky, who was one of the business partners of Hunter Biden, has testified to that effect. What have you found about the evidence linking President Biden to these deals? And do you think Tony Bobolinsky is a credible source?
2: Well, I think Tony Bobulinski is credible because he provides the actual communications, the comms that took place. I've actually seen the Blackberries and the phones where these this correspondence took place, and it's very straightforward. Number one, Bobulinski released to the Senate and gave to the FBI correspondence that I've seen uh, that shows clearly that they were not to discuss Joe Biden's involvement in the business. Their actual correspondence that Tony Bobolinsky has with the business partners where they say, don't bring up the father's name. Don't discuss the father in the context of the deals. The family's very skittish about. it." In other words, the partners did not say he's not involved. There's a Chinese wall, so to speak, that divides him from these deals. It was don't discuss it. Uh, And then you have correspondence when they're discussing a deal with CEFC, this is a Chinese energy company uh, that is going to be setting up a Chinese uh, energy infrastructure fund in the United States, uh, that the ownership structure is such that 10% uh, was going to be given to Hunter to caretake for the big guy. Uh, there's lots of correspondence on the laptop and in Tony Bobolinsky's communications where the big guy is the reference for Joe Biden. So that's the first thing to consider. The second thing to consider is there is lots of evidence on the laptop that Joe Biden was familiar with his son's deals. And it's worth looking at kind of the evolution of what Joe Biden has said when I first broke the story in my book, uh, Secret Empires in 2018, about the Biden family's deals in China, the initial, the initial Biden response was, there were no deals. There's nothing to see here. This is fabricated. Then when it was f- confirmed that, okay, yes, there were deals in China, Joe Biden's position became, well, I never discussed those matters with my son, any of these business dealings. Uh, we now know, of course, that Joe Biden flew his son on Air Force Two uh, to China, where Hunter Biden met with those Chinese business partners. And we also know on the laptop that, in fact, there are references to Hunter Biden saying to his business partners, I talked to my father about this deal and he's going to help. Um, So now they've shifted from saying there were no deals, Joe Biden didn't know about the deals, to... Joe Biden didn't benefit from those deals or did nothing uh, to um, help these deals along. Uh, And my point is, this is what you need an investigation for. Uh, You know, look, we've got the transference of millions of dollars uh, for no services rendered. Nobody's disputing that. We know the individuals who transferred this money have connections to foreign intelligence services. We know that Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden, are close They communicate all the time. They're not estranged. Uh, And we know uh, that there are questions about the posture that the Biden administration has assumed towards China. So my view has always been this warrants investigation. I'm not saying a crime's been committed. I don't know. I'm not saying that Joe Biden uh, uh, is, is on the take from the Chinese. We don't know. But I do believe that this deserves serious investigation by a body like a congressional committee that has subpoena power. And it seems to me, if we are prepared to investigate Donald Trump uh, based on an anonymous dossier, and by the way, at least the first five or six months, I supported that investigation. But if we're prepared to investigate that, uh, Iran Contra, Bill Clinton and Whitewater This is much higher in terms of the threshold of evidence and information we have that warrants a look and warrants a a subpoena power effort to find out exactly what is going on here.
1: And that's expected to happen, is it not?
2: It is. Uh, I I think that uh, you've got a couple of committees in the House of Representatives. I think it's a good idea. My concerns, Michael, are that sometimes these investigations, these hearings end up being uh, members of Congress speechifying about conclusions. I think the way you should approach this is the way that a very judicious prosecutor would, which is to ask informational questions of witnesses, to obtain banking records, other correspondence, etc. Um, there are indications, for example, in the laptop that the Biden family might have overseas bank accounts. That would be kind of an important thing to know. Um, Is it something innocent? Is it something serious? Uh, We don't know. Um, So those congressional committees are going forward. And uh, I think that's very, very important not to get Joe Biden but we are in a very, pitted in a very serious struggle with Beijing, China in competition around the planet. Uh, We need to know the entanglements that our leaders have had I've raised those questions about, those, about the Bidens. I've also raised those about people like Mitch McCall and others. Uh, it's not just a Biden problem, but we have to start there because he's the commander in chief.
1: And does there need to be a special prosecutor at the Department of Justice?
2: Uh, I think there absolutely does. I mean, if you look at the statute um, for a special prosecutor, this is exactly what it was designed to do. If you have somebody uh, that is either the president of the United States or close to the president of the United States that is being subject to legal scrutiny, you need to have an independent figure come in and assess that. Now, you know that person is appointed by the Department of Justice. That would be Attorney General Merrick Garland. So it's not like uh, a bunch of, you know, Republicans that hate Joe Biden are gonna get to appoint this person, but we should have an individual who's gonna look at this in a dispassionate way, who does not own his job to the president of the United States and is prepared to follow the facts wherever they go. And if you're not gonna have an independent prosecutor in this kind of situation, why do you even have the statute?
1: Um Peter, can you? Um, my 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 readers and and listeners, because I'm going to show this a video too, are, are very interested in energy and gas in particular. Is obviously a very valuable uh, commodity right now. Can you describe in particular the the relationships? I believe there's just there's two between uh, you, you between the between Hunter Biden and the Ukrainian natural gas company, and also I believe with the Chinese gas interests. Can you describe both of those?
2: Yeah, you know, energy is, of course, a critical industry. It fuels everything. It's also a uh, can be a highly political issue because unlike the United States, as you know, Michael, in most places around the world, whether it's China, Ukraine, these are essentially national gas companies linked to the government uh, that make energy policy decisions. Um, And if you look at uh, what happened in the case of Burisma and the Biden family, it's, it's pretty glaring and appalling. All you need to do is is look at the timeline. In February of 2014, Vladimir Putin invades Crimea uh, with Ukraine. Uh, Two weeks after that, Barack Obama appoints Joe Biden as point person on US policy towards Ukraine. All diplomacy, all aid is gonna flow through the Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden. Within 10 days, within 10 days, Hunter Biden is appointed to the board of directors of Burisma, this Ukrainian energy company. He's appointed, even though he has no background in energy, he has no background in Ukrainian law, you, Ukrainian re, you know regulation, none of those things. And he collects a fee of a million dollars a year for doing so. It's unclear whether he attended many, if any, Barisma board meetings in Ukraine. It's not clear that he had ever visited the country up to this point. So the problem is that that company, Barisma, is owned by a couple, uh, was owned by a couple of very corrupt oligarchs, one of who, whom was the uh, energy minister under the previous, li- previous pro-Russian Ukrainian government. He was one of the co-founders. He was actually the Minister of Energy. He set up Burisma, this energy company on the side. Uh, And and the second one um, is a uh, Ukrainian oligarch who is now a big financial backer of Zelensky. In fact, he helped Zelensky get elected. The only reason I bring that up is these are the kind of entanglements that you are told to avoid. And we know that when Hunter Biden took this position in 2014, there were a lot of people in the Obama White House who said this is a bad idea. Uh, I'm sure if Joe Biden had told Hunter, don't do this, Hunter would not have done it. Uh, But he clearly got the green green light from his father. Uh, The second part of the equation involves this Chinese energy company called CEFC, which was founded by a gentleman named Chairman Yi. We know that Hunter Biden received at least $6 million from this Chinese energy company. This is not Exxon, this is not uh, BP. CEFC was actually founded by individuals linked to Chinese military intelligence. uh, And Chairman Yi himself, had a background working for an intelligence organization in China. Um, And CEFC went around the world striking deals. They actually uh, struck a deal with Vladimir Putin and the uh, Russian energy company. So this is a highly juiced in energy company linked to the apparatus of the Chinese state. uh, And they decide to make Hunter Biden their official partner. uh, And the plan is to start buying energy infrastructure in the United States Uh, What happens, of course, is when their efforts get underway, uh, the US representative for CEFC, a guy named Patrick Ho, gets arrested by the FBI on bribery and espionage charges in New York and is convicted. And that kind of unwinds everything. So Those are the kinds of deals that Hunter Biden was involved in. It's in the energy sector, as you know, where politics is very important. Regulation plays a central role. And yet Hunter Biden, of course, had zero background in any aspect of energy at any time during his previous career.
1: And can you explain what exactly the Ukrainian gas interests and the Chinese gas interests would have wanted from Biden?
2: Uh, They would have wanted a couple of things. Uh, CEFC uh, wanted to do major uh, infrastructure projects in the United States. It's very controversial for Chinese companies to buy uh, oil companies. They tried to buy one in in California, I believe, about 15 years ago. It was blocked by federal regulators. Uh, This is determined by a body called CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. So one of the things that CEFC would have wanted was sort of a regulatory uh, uh, clearing of the path, as it were, for them to acquire assets in the United States. Uh, As far as Burisma is concerned, Burisma was getting and wanted to get more USAID money. That's the United States Agency for International Development, which was sending hundreds of millions of dollars to Ukraine. What better way uh, than to perhaps ensure that you get a, a sort of an inside nose, uh, because there are other energy companies in Ukraine, uh, than putting the vice president's son on the payroll at a time when the vice president is the one who's determining where USAID and other foreign aid was flowing to Ukraine at that time.
1: Um. Peter, can you speak a little bit to um, the role of the FBI here? It seems like one of the the when when Twitter just released the files relating to its uh, censorship of stories about the laptop. One of the things that mainstream journalists said is they said this is really there's nothing really here. There's no evidence that the government um, asked for censorship by Twitter. Now, I saw Miranda Devine went on uh, TV, and I think she said something like, there's evidence that FBI warned Twitter that there could be a leak of um, of a laptop, and I think that seemed like that was similar to what Mark Zuckerberg said on Joe Rogan. Can you sort out for, for me what exactly the behavior of the FBI was around the laptop starting in 2019 when I believe this... The uh, computer repair owner uh, apparently gave a copy of the laptop to the FBI and what the FBI's behavior was between 2019 and today.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, If you start in 2018, I wrote the book, Secret Empires, talking about the China deals. Uh, Five months later, a grand jury was convened in Delaware to look into Hunter Biden's uh, foreign dealings. That grand jury continues to meet It was suspended for a couple of years because of COVID, but that was convened in late um, 2018. In 2019, the laptop appears uh, and the owner uh, of the shop uh, in Delaware shares it with the FBI in late 2019. Uh, There is no evidence that the FBI actually ever shared that laptop with the grand jury in Delaware. To me, that seems like a massive, massive story because it is absolutely germane uh, to what this grand jury's uh, you know, looking for. So we, we have that. We have accounts by Tony Bobolinsky that he has said publicly that when he came forward in 2020, he met with FBI officials, uh, shared materials with them, documents with them, uh, that they never put him in touch with the grand jury in Delaware, and they never had follow-up questions for him on the material he had. Um, The individual he met with, by the way, is the same gentleman who has been identified by uh, Senator Grassley uh, as being one of the people who was trying to kill uh, the Hunter Biden story in the FBI. So you have that kind of as a bit of a background. Now, if you get to the 2020 election, my sense of what happened based on what's been reporting is that the FBI was issuing general warnings about disinformation from foreign entities trying to influence the campaign. We'd seen some of this in 2016 involving Russia and Iran. And in 2020, it was Russia, Iran, and also China was now on the stage trying to influence the election. According to Zuckerberg's account, he basically got a general briefing to be on the lookout for Russian disinformation. Um, The FBI, in response to what Zuckerberg said, does not say that they mentioned the the laptop. The evidence to me seems to indicate it was a general warning, and Facebook took that as the opportunity to read in that perhaps it was the laptop to suppress the laptop story. Uh, That's my sense of what happened at Twitter as well. Although in the case of Twitter, we know for a fact that DNC political activists were also pushing it. Um, this to be, Michael, as, as a reporter, as a journalist, I, I think you'd probably have the same reaction. This is a perilous, perilous place to be when you have these platforms that profess to be neutral platforms determining um, whether their audience can accurately assess information. That should not be their role. They need to have enough confidence in, American, in the American people to discern for themselves in the marketplace of ideas, what is accurate and what is inaccurate, uh, especially in a case like this when there was no clear cut information. And it's pretty clear that the DNC and these 50 intelligence uh, officials who declared this was Russian disinformation were acting on uh, their political desires rather than on fact-based evidence. You cannot have a fact-finding or a, uh, you know, fact-checking operation by these big media outlets um, because you're always going to have politics creep into it. You need to allow the marketplace of ideas for people to assess uh, what information is accurate, what they believe and what they don't believe.
1: But is there evidence, I mean, in some ways you kind of go, I think the response from the mainstream media is they go, well, you know, so you have um, partisans on both sides trying to kind of lobby Twitter, but you don't really have evidence of government officials telling Twitter not to do it. Is there evidence that FBI officials were leaning on Twitter to um, not uh, to suppress the laptop story?
2: I have not seen that, Michael. I've seen the general warnings. I've I've seen what Zuckerberg said and I've seen what's been released by Twitter so far. Um, it's certainly possible that there was a phone call. Uh, you know, uh, obviously people in, in Washington can be very discreet and recognize that a phone call disappears and email returns. But I have not seen anything that indicates a specific government entity, agency or official said Uh, you know, suppress this story. What I've seen so far indicates it was a general concern and the social media companies themselves concluded uh, that the laptop was in fact uh, disinformation and should be suppressed.
1: And and Peter, beyond the the two investigations that you think are necessary, the congressional investigation and a DOJ, and a, sorry, a um, a special counsel investigation, um, are there other investigations that you think are important um, and are there changes to the law that you think are necessary or that are worth considering? Uh,
2: that's a great question. Uh, I think there's a question for big tech companies um, on what exactly they are. You know, there's been a running debut, uh, debate about Section 230 of, of uh, the law back in 1996. But more fundamentally, the question is are these social media companies? actually media companies meaning are they using their uh, uh, power to editorialize to demonstrate editorial control if they are they're operating as media entities and that means that you know antitrust laws that apply to concentration of media ownership etc should apply to them if they are in fact what they claim to be which is neutral platforms that only edit, you know, if people are engaging in illegal activity like child porn or making threats to people, then they need to operate that way. But clearly they have not. They are, they are editorializing. So there needs to be clarity brought there. Uh, I'm not a, enough of a scholar in that area to know exactly what the solution is, but these large companies should be able to decide and, and be clear in claiming what they actually are and then stick to it. They should not be media companies when they wanna be and be you know uh, media platforms in other cases, pick and choose depending on the situation. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing we've got to look at is what has happened to uh, the FBI um, and our law enforcement entities. Uh, the entire basis of our criminal justice system is uh, the lady holding the scales of justice and justice is blind. Um, it seems very clear uh, that the FBI took, excuse me, took a very aggressive posture towards investigating uh, Donald Trump based on an anonymous dossier. Now, again, the first five or six months of that investigation, I actually supported it. Um, When it became clear of what it was based on, that's when I thought it had gone too far. But if you look at the body of evidence that existed that led the FBI to a pretty zealous and aggressive approach in the case of Donald Trump, and you compare that to what we now know about the Bidens, the fact that actually large sums of money have transferred hands, the fact that the individuals transferring the money are connected to a foreign intelligence service, uh, the fact that no discernible service has been rendered for that money. Nobody knows why that money was sent these are all red flags that should have led the FBI to pursue this case aggressively. And when the Hunter Biden laptop emerged rather than sitting on it, they should have actually first tried to figure out if it was true and accurate. Uh, And then second of all, acted on that information in a meaningful way that did not happen. So there needs to be a wholesale investigation of uh, the FBI. uh, And it's the fact that it's become politicized. Um, My view is, all of our leaders need to be investigated if the evidence, you know, crosses a certain threshold. But there are very, very different thresholds for people, depending what your political affiliation is. And that's a very dangerous place place for us to be as a country.
1: And Peter, do we have the laws in place to be able to properly investigate and detect influence peddling and in corruption inside the government or do you need new laws?
2: That's a great question. Uh, You know, the way that corruption laws are written right now in the United States, uh, bribery statutes essentially require a quid pro quo. So if I'm going to see uh, you, the great Senator from the state of California, if I go to you and say, hey, Michael, I've got a shoebox here of $100,000 in exchange for this $100,000, I need you to vote against this bill. Uh, If we do that um, and we get caught, we're both going to jail. It's an explicit quid pro quo. If I go to you and say, Michael, uh, you've got a son or daughter um, and I'd love to hire them as a consultant, they don't need to show up. I'm just going to pay them $100,000 a year. And in exchange, Michael, I just need you to hear me out on this bill and you end up voting in my favor. I mean, look, we all know what's going on there. But according to the statutes, there was not an exquisite quo pro, so it's very hard to, to uh, you know, accuse somebody of a crime being committed. That, to me, is overly specific. Um, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me that we have got to get to the root of the ability of the political class to engage in corrupt acts that, based on the way our laws are now written, are perfectly legal. Um, You know, that I think is a huge problem. I think the issue of elected officials being given, for example, uh, IPOs worth of stock uh, is a travesty. I've been arguing about this for 10 years. Again, if I give you $100,000 cash as a senator, um, you can't take that money, but I can give you access to $5 million worth of IPO shares of stock, and that is completely legal. That's another example of how our laws have not kept, you know, kept up with the times and we need serious reform. And I, I want to believe, and I do believe, that there's a strong enough bipartisan consensus to do so. The problem is these changes are not supported by leaders from both parties. Uh, there seems to be this direct correlation to the longer you stay in office in Washington, the less interested you become in, in dealing with some of these ethical concerns and issues. So you've got a lot of backbenchers from both parties who would love to address this issue. Unfortunately, the leaders in both parties are not interested in doing so, in part because at least some of them are beneficiaries of this system.
1: Um, And Peter, just to get back to the question of how the media has been covering this, can you give a, so it seems like we both anticipate there'll be some congressional hearings on this, you know, how, how they'll be focused. It's not clear yet. How would you, end, how have you sort of seen the media coverage of this issue develop over the last few years and where do you think it's headed? Can you give some sort of a preview of how you think we can see the media evolving in its coverage of the issue and what would you push on to sort of make it better?
2: Uh, it's a great question. You know, uh, Michael, I think one of the strongest mechanisms that the corporate media has to control information or to uh, tilt the scales is simply avoid reporting on stories as if Mm -hmm. things did not happen. And that's really what they've done with Hunter Biden up until 2020. Uh, You know, the New York Times really uh, did not investigate Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings in China. Uh, They did plenty of reporting on the Trump family's dealings with China, all of which I think was important. And the reporting I think was, was quite good. They did none of that with Hunter Biden. So my concern is going forward, this is going to be their approach. They're going to pretend that those hearings are not happening. They're not important. And then that's going to set the tone. If the newspapers don't cover it, the major network television programs are not going to cover it. And Meet the Press is not going to uh, have guests on on Sunday to talk about it. That's kind of what's happened with this Twitter story, right? And the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, The mainstream media outlets generally aren't really discussing this story. Um, You'd think they would, and they absolutely should, because it's a major important story about how political events are covered during a campaign. Uh, So I anticipate that a lot of them are going to try to avoid covering it, pretending like it didn't happen. The second thing they're going to do is kind of mimic what the Biden line has now become, Remember the trend, the uh, the sort of line that I discussed going back to 2018. First, it was there are no deals. Then it was Joe didn't, uh, you know, know about it and participated. Then it was Joe didn't benefit about it. Now, four years later, they're going to declare that it's old news. Um, that's that's the next fallback position. So I think you're probably going to have news outlets say the same thing that this is old news. But look, if you are talking about the possibility that members of the first family are compromised by a foreign intelligence service. Um, That is a long lasting problem and issue. uh, And we better figure out exactly what's going on. So um, I would anticipate that's what the mainstream media is gonna do. My hope is there's gonna be enough interest generated in these hearings uh, that they're gonna have to cover them. Uh, And then it's gonna be a question of, reporters who actually wanna cover these stories, and I know there are some at these major outlets, I talk to them all the time, at the New York Times and Washington Post, uh, who are basically told by their editors, no, we don't want you to cover it. Then we're probably gonna see some battles in the newsrooms and hopefully the reporters will actually win some of those battles, but I'm not very optimistic.
1: That's interesting. Sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit because I'm filling in some some gaps. Um, sure. It does appear that some senators have called for a special prosecutor in the case of Hunter Biden. Is is that right? And is that gaining any steam? I mean, it seems like if you're if you if ordinary people say, "What should we want here?" It seems like getting a special prosecutor seems kind of like a pretty obvious demand. Is that? Um, is, is that call going anywhere? Is that is I assume no Democrats have supported that. Um, is that the, is that what you would say people ordinary folks should be? Is that the thing ordinary folks should be demanding?
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, my view is if you pick somebody as an independent counsel who's going to be judicious, uh, who's going to be focused on the facts, um, that is the best course forward. Um, that's really what we had kind of with Robert Mueller, right? I mean, there were all these leaks. There was all this excitement about what was going to come out, what was not going to come out. I think if you read the Mueller report, uh, it was pretty even-handed. It was pretty much based on the fact patterns of what they were able to uncover and what they didn't. Uh, And that's the other benefit, by the way, of having an independent counsel as opposed to You know, the DOJ having a grand jury that was convened in 2018 looking at this is a grand jury does not issue a report that the public actually gets to read. They make an assessment of whether crimes were committed, whether the statute of limitations for those crimes have run out. An independent counsel would tell the American people, based on our subpoena power, based on questioning all these people under oath, based on obtaining these financial records, here's what we know about the Biden family relationship with China, and let that information go where it's going to go. So... If there was one request I would make of fair-minded people on both sides of the aisle, it would be simply to let's have an independent counsel look into this with subpoena power and determine the actual facts of what happened here.
1: Biden, during the 2020 campaign, said he never talked to his son about his business dealings. (laughs) And now we know that there's a voicemail whereby President Biden calls his son and says that a New York Times story turned out better than he thought. And he was, I believe, clearly referring to a New York Times story about Hunter Biden's business dealings. Is that the only evidence that President Biden knew about his son's business dealings or is there other pieces of evidence that show that?
2: Uh, No, uh, there are numerous other pieces, by the way, the the, uh, voicemail that you uh, referenced where Hunter Biden was talking about a New York Times piece, that was piece was about CEFC, the Chinese energy company that included 10% for the big guy. Um, And that piece also pointed out that when Patrick Ho, the executive from CEFC was arrested by the FBI on spying and bribery charges. The first call that he made was to James Biden, Joe Biden's father, uh, sorry, Joe Biden's brother. So um, it's curious to me that Joe Biden reads that article and says, hey, we're in the clear. Uh, because that article raised a lot of interesting questions. But, you know, there's lots of other evidence. We have the words of Hunter Biden himself, for example. He gave an interview with The New Yorker in 2019. It was in, in response to the reporting that I've been uh, doing on China, and it was generally kind of a puff piece. But in that piece, he did admit to the uh, author uh, of the piece that when he traveled on in 2014 on Air Force Two with his father to China, that he did discuss and introduce his Chinese business partner to his father, the sitting vice president at the time. So they certainly had that conversation. There are numerous references in the emails uh, that Joe Biden has, sorry that Hunter Biden has talked to his father. This is correspondence he's having with his business partners. So. There is lots of evidence. And to me, it, it's, it's kind of uh, stretches credulity to argue that they never discuss business dealings. They're, they're very close. They always have been, and that's a very admirable quality uh, in a father and son. Um, and the notion that they would fly across the Pacific Ocean on Air Force Two for official meetings that Joe Biden has in Beijing, China, Hunter Biden's the only family member other than kids on the flight with him. Hunter Biden later admits that he meets with his Chinese business partners, that somehow during that whatever 14 hour flight, Joe Biden never asks, what are you going to be doing in China? Are you meeting anybody or Hunter Biden? To me just sort of strains credulity. So um, the question really comes down to in my mind, was Joe Biden a beneficiary of Hunter Biden's business deals. There's evidence that he did benefit in some ways. We do know, for example, based on the laptop, that when Hunter Biden was collecting millions of dollars from China, he was also paying some of his father's bills. His father was vice president. Um, He was paying for repairs on uh, Joe Biden's home in Delaware. He was paying monthly bills like phone bills, utility bills, things like that. You know, based on the laptop, this amounts to maybe $50,000, $60,000. It's not a lot of money. But the question is, was there more? There's also evidence on the laptop that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden are transferring a, a money to each other through Venmo. Um, so again, money is fungible. So, you know, the point is, that is what needs to be investigated. The, the The line that is being pushed by defenders of Joe Biden, that you haven't proved this or you haven't proved that. That's the purpose of an investigation. Uh, and to argue that you don't have enough to start an investigation now is in my mind, completely laughable.
1: Uh, Peter, again, I'm sorry to jump around a bit because I'm sure. kind of filling in some some gaps. Um, you, you mentioned that you were pretty quickly able to verify that the laptop uh, was real by simply cross-referencing um, uh, items that were already on the record how long would you say it took you to do that? How long would have been a reasonable amount of time for a, a New York Times or Washington Post to be to be able to confirm the um, the 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 uh, that that the laptop was indeed Hunter's? I mean, how long would that have taken? Do you think
2: it took us two and a half weeks? Uh, and and we don't have the resources of the New York Times or the Washington Post. Um, you know, and again, I, I don't say this to say that they should not have covered Donald Trump, but the Washington Post, I believe, had 35 reporters uh, looking at Donald Trump's personal finances. Um, I have no problem with that. They can chip, put the resources where they want, and they are supposed to be watchdogs for those in power um, that are leading this country. I mean, how many reporters did they have covering the Biden's financial dealings with China. Did they have 15? Did they have 10? If they had, they would have been able to verify the laptop much more quickly. Because again, the sequencing of when the laptop was released is almost simultaneous to when the Secret Service travel logs and when the SARS reports were released by the US Senate, coming from the Treasury Department and from the Secret Service. There's no conceivable way you could construct fake emails numbering tens of thousands that correspond perfectly with those documents that we know to be accurate. So they could have done this quickly. It was a lack of curiosity. I I had a a meeting in 2018 after my book, uh, Secret Empires, came out laying out the Biden's uh, deals with China with a reporter from The New York Times who I know well and I respect. And he said, you know, fascinating stuff. I learned a lot about that. I also learned a lot in your book about Mitch McConnell and his family's ties uh, to China. And I said, well, are you going to cover the Biden story because they didn't cover Mitch McConnell. And he said, if Joe Biden runs for president, absolutely we will cover this story. They never covered the story. Um, And I don't believe it was the reporter that didn't want to cover the story. It's the editorial leadership that does not want to cover this story. That's the problem with corporate media today. And that's why, you know, their approval rating, Michael, is basically down there with Congress. People do not trust and respect these news outlets. They have nobody to blame but themselves because of the kind of things that they're doing.
1: You've reached the end of this episode of the free version of Public's podcast. To access the full version, become a paying subscriber at public.substack.com.